So first tonight I'd like to start with a disclaimer. So there was this young man and he came to this river, raging river. And there was no boat, no bridge. And so uh, he saw there was a master on the other side of the river. And he shouted to him, how do I get across? And the master shouted back at him, you are across. <laughs> so that's the disclaimer, because in a sense we try to graduate these teachings in some way, but uh, also, uh, you know what I mean. You know. So, Uh, Tonight, I would like to start by uh, reading a poem, because I'm going to be exploring with you um, faith, confidence, sadha. Beginning again, this constant search, running from the bulls, tearing through the streets, these twisting and alleyways of thoughts. For a split second, courageously quelling the desire to move away from this or towards any destiny, knowing full well answers, yes, answers, come out of nowhere. The way forward, those moments between thoughts, risking only the landscape of the heart, risking only the landscape of the heart, seeming blind, yet knowing the confirmation based on some sense of wonder and understanding, untouched by words, this confidence. We step out of our hidden life, knowing the old path which only led us to this circular spinning, We stepped out of our hidden life, knowing the old path which only led us to this circular circular spinning, creating a life only partially lived, crying out for mercy, ignorance, recreating ignorance. Knowing The road up ahead is unclear, yet some ancient vision of ourselves, some ancient vision of ourselves, some deep sense that freedom is not so far away. Faith coupled with this ancient cellular knowledge, this road well-worn leads directly to liberation. So, that's the end. So uh, tonight, you know, just in the sense of kind of keeping in with uh, our uh, theme, one of the things I just uh, feel like it's really important to reiterate because for me, one of the most important uh, parts of of the, first of all, of understanding samsara or this wheel of uh, dependent origination. And so I just want to go through it and then uh, we'll see where we go, you know. 
profound ananda is this dependent arising. And it appears profound. It is through not understanding, not penetrating this law that the world resembles a tangled skew of thread, a woven nest of birds, a thicket of bamboo and reeds. The man does not escape from these lower heavy emotions, these realms of existence, from the states of woe and perdition, and suffers from the rounds of becoming, suffers from the rounds of becoming. So, I think to understand this in some way, um, I, I like to look at this as, a, I make it as simple as possible, you know? And for me, uh, this wheel of dependent origination, which has sort of uh, 12 spokes or uh, 12 circular processes, you know, uh, which is somewhat different than this liberative one, which is more of a spiral. So I'd like to go through them, though, with you, because uh, the first six uh, are simply about the past, due to ignorance and causes and conditions. So, what happens? So there, if, there, if there is ignorance, uh, then there is uh, volitional formations. Volitional formations are really sometimes the word, the word karma or vipaka or results of the past. Um, which then uh, create consciousness. And if there's consciousness, there is a mind and body. Uh, And if there is a mind and body, there are what we know as the six senses. And if there is the six senses, uh, then uh, there is a thing called contact. So those things arise just immediately. This is where we are right now. So that happens. But then in that, uh, and that's all past in some sense, is there's present experience. And this was described as, again, we've spoken about it over again and then, is this word vedna. You know, that at that point there is feeling of pleasant, unpleasant, or not unpleasant or not pleasant. Now, in the wheel of dependent origination, uh, what arises is then uh, craving. And from craving comes attachment. From attachment become, comes becoming. And, uh, and just to hear these, from becoming comes birth. From birth, the natural consequences are old age, sickness, and death. And so these are the 12 links that keep circulating because we don't get it. Okay? So over and over, this ignorance uh, kind of creates uh, what we know right now with all of this. Through our senses, uh, there has to be, because we have senses, there has to be this contact. And that contact, when it, it happens, there's feeling. And the feeling, if it's not understood then you just keep spinning around and around. That's why they call it samsara. 
you know. Now, one of the beauties of this uh, is the fact that when we start seeing what's true, we understand what when the pleasure or displeasure, when we are reacting to it, you know, uh, we stay on the wheel. We know the craving. We know the attachment. We know the world of becoming and the consequences of becoming. But as we start to really get, and this is the whole practice here, we get really quiet and we start feeling, and this really is feeling, uh, our movements towards things and away from things. And the practice is ultimately, can we sit in the center of our experience? You know, and sitting in the center of this experience, uh, no, there'll be moments where you kind of wander off and get back on the wheel and, you know, you tell stories, I know, and you get caught up with different uh, reactions to body sensations uh, or all the myriad uh, river of thoughts which we're not stopping just to move through, you know. But at some point in that settling into just sitting in the center of things. You know, the thoughts themselves, uh, they simply move through. Uh, There is no, in a sense, there has to be knowing that the thinking is just one of those sixth sense doors. You know, when things come to the sense doors, uh, we also know them as just experiences that arise Uh, and they have a natural nature. They arise and they will vanish. And so we sit there in the center of this with all this uh, incredible amount of uh, sense experience, which the Buddha says over and over, you're not going to get it this way. But if you actually have the power to sit in the center and just stay, not moving, you know, one of the great understandings when we stop moving is the nature of the wheel of dependent origination. You know, and that wheel is suffering. It simply just recreates itself over and over again. If we don't see it, what does it do? It just keeps circling. You know, and we think that somehow, uh, you know, enough pleasantness will make us happy, but pleasantness. Uh, at the sense doors, arises and vanishes. You know, that's its nature. And so there begins to be some understanding of, oh, you know, for me to actually stay in the center, that I begin to truly understand the nature of suffering. You know, oh, and they say in the wheel, which is a spiral, the wheel uh, in the sense of um, the spiral, not the circle of dependent origination, is in a sense getting off the wheel is the awareness. The awareness of the wheel itself. Uh, It simply has its inevitable consequences, you know, based on ignorance. So, The emphasis here is the fact that we start getting 
that, you know, what is it? If you know the suffering, you want to get off the wheel. You really understand that, you know? And I think everyone in this room, you know, knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you've sat there long enough to recognize the nature of the sense doors, you know. And it's interesting because at this point, uh, which is really where I'm going to kind of explore this tonight, is that at that point, uh, in some ways, we have a sense of where we're going, but we don't know where we're going. You know? And so there has to be uh, some means. Are you just going to sit there and, and uh, you know, if you get off the wheel, well, you know, you recognize the nature of the wheel, what it's about. But then you also realize that there's something else. Uh, that in essence, I believe th- it is calling you, you know. And maybe it's just yourself, you know. And yourself uh, actually has some instinctual knowing of what liberation is, you know. And I think in some ways, everyone here, you've had little pieces of it. You know, some bigger, some little, but uh, it's always available to us. You know, and in some ways when we kind of recognize the nature of the wheel and we're not uh, caught by it, uh, and it may seem like, oh, they're just, you know, not non-pleasant, not unpleasant. That uh, in that um, non-leaning into things or leaning away from things, uh, there is a, a, a gentle taste, and it's it's a difficult in some ways, uh, because it's not uh, what uh, culturally supported, you know. You have to get really quiet, you know, and things have to get still. And it's not enough. You have to sit a little longer. You gotta get a little quieter, you know. And you begin to see that uh, the movement itself, you know, that there is a subtle flavor which you begin to notice. And it no longer has to do with the senses or the pleasant or unpleasant. It has to do with something that is recognized uh, in us as something that inspires us to freedom. And it comes and, you know, I think uh, here is a room full of when it gets quiet. There is uh, the... Sometimes just a gentle taste of it, you know? And sometimes I think we don't know it so much because we're so caught up uh, in this instinctual mind that believes somehow in this kind of concrete nature that enough pleasantness is about happiness. And a lot of discomfort is about unhappiness. And the problem here is that 
the Buddha was looking at somewhere else. He was looking at something uh, instinctual that was in the in the quietness itself. And the problem was that uh, pleasantness and unpleasantness was all based on the charge. You know, oh, that, you know, enough chocolate or, you know, or discomfort. Uh, I'm always in struggle with this. Always struggling in some way. But the center point is not struggling. It's simply just sitting in the center of it. You know. And in the center of it, uh, we begin to recognize, you know, maybe just for a moment, that there's no charge there. And I like the language of uh, uh, peace. Peace and ease. You know? And it is, uh, in a sense, kind of your birthright. You know? And so, in a sense, we're all drawn to this, but we have a path to go through. And again, uh, it's sort of a, a um, what is this, another disclaimer I have. And the disclaimer is that this is, you know, this spiral, which is, uh, in a sense, kind of mirrors. Um, uh, it's not, in a sense, spiral. There's some that say it's linear. I don't buy that. Of course, I don't buy anything too linear, especially in this kind of world, you know. And so sometimes a person can go from uh, really having faith, I believe, in some ways, and if there is the kind of wisdom factor, they can jump straight to liberation. But it's also, uh, there can be these pieces that support a process of untangling, um, what is it? Uh, It is simply about a, a journey. You know, and then that journey can be identified and qualified. You know, and our process here is somehow uh, noting uh, the different aspects of going from the confusion and the suffering and the repetition of the wheel of dependent origination uh, to a state, you know, which is off the wheel. So faith, it's a tricky word, especially, I think, in the West. You know, one of the things I've spent, what, 10 years in Asia, and one of the things this last year I was in, uh, what was it, in the fall in Thailand, and then I spent the summer in Ladakh. And um, there's something about being able to be uh, in a place where uh, there is this instinctual uh, sense of devotion, of faith in the teachings, you know. And it greatly supports me. Uh, and I know that, you know, when I started this, you know, I just know that I was just like all of you. I was just a doubter, you know. I think that Western is, we're doubters, you know. And that doubting um, was the Buddha had, you know, one of uh, the great suttas that has been held uh, 
around Buddhism for all these years has been the Kalama Sutta. And this was the fact that the, the Buddha said you had to, in a sense, question. You know, that it wasn't about, particularly about blind faith. You know, uh, it was about the fact if this is, uh, if this is about reasonable, about the light, and about good heart, and about having uh, good values that support your community and yourself. Uh, then follow it. No. Uh, in some ways, a simple uh, barometer to see uh, how these teachings work, you know? And I think a very important part of it. But at the same time, you know, uh, for me, I know in my own journey, you know, um, in the 60s, uh, trying to find some means. And oh yeah, I went to Zen Center, I went to Blue Mountain Meditation Center, I was with the Hare Krishnas, I was with kind of everybody that I could possibly find. And I was looking for faith. I somehow that I knew that somehow there was something there. Uh, But uh, in that process, the doubting mind, you know, uh, and resources of the time, uh, all it did was, uh, fortunately, I was going to say, uh, about the 60s and particularly in that period, uh, my father turned me into the draft. And so it was so uh, kind of aggressive in some way, you know, and disappointing for me, uh, you know. And so it actually was such a, I'm so thankful and grateful because then, um, you know, it gave me the, uh, what is it? It pushed me. It pushed me uh, out of uh, kind of a cultural uh, kind of sleepiness in some way to go outside, you know? And the next thing, you know, in the 60s, I was uh, hitchhiked across Europe and then public transportation to India, uh, all on a thing about, uh, you know, I think it's called blind faith, you know? that somehow there was an answer out there. And I didn't really, in some ways, uh, I, was a little, I wasn't so hot on Buddhism. It seemed kind of dry, you know? And I was looking for something a little more juicy coming out of the 60s, you know? But um, getting there, and um, I remember in New Delhi, this was 60s, and... Uh, I ran into Frida Beatty. She was a nun, and she had been the uh, been the um, a tutor for Chogyam when the kid Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche and uh, and a lot of young tukus, like fourteen little tukus and, and uh, uh, Tartang tuku, and all of who I met later uh, in their adult forms. You know, but I met her, and she, there was something. Uh, she had, uh, was a Karju nun, and was um, such an early inspirer. You know, of Tenzin Palmo, if you know who she is, and um, a lot of us who blindly came into this and were directed then uh, through faith, because I think that's how did you get here? You know. Were you so smart? 
that you figured all this out. You know, I don't buy it, you know. There had to be, in some sense, you had to take some risk. And that risk, you know, to me is always some piece of blind faith, you know. And but somewhere in there, in that sort of the seeker itself uh, has to sense, you know, uh, what it's doing and where it's going. You know, and I'm always amazed and I read this kind of thing, you know, it's like the brain has what uh, it kind of produces, uh, what is it, uh, 10, 10 volts of power, like a 10 watt, it can light a 10 watt light bulb. And that one brain cell can, and this is still amazing me, is they say, now I don't know where this comes from, that it's equivalent to uh, four Wikipedias. It, it can hold that amount of material. So we're sitting here in the sense, if you want to look at it from that point of view, that there is this mysterious kind of thing. And then you think of your body. You know, millions of years of genetic intelligence. No. And we sit and we get quiet and we've already constructed our worlds and belief systems and uh, how it is. You know. And I think sometimes coming here, oh yes, you have to have kind of blind faith to come into it. And then you're going to have to let go of all the things that in a sense uh, aren't true about it. You know? And I think, you know, here we are, these teachers up here, and, and in the tradition, you know, there's the, of course, blind faith. I, I trust blind faith, by the way, a lot. I think there's also some uh, sensing uh, that there's more going on that kind of knows without knowing. You know. Uh, and then uh, what is known as uh, borrowed, you know, and it was interesting because in the 60s there weren't many books, you know. Uh, there was a wonderful Lama Govinda, The Way of the White Clouds, you know, which was, I, I don't know, it just was, again, that somehow there's also in the faith itself, um, sometimes uh, we don't allow um, kind of uh, faith. Uh, I don't know where I, I was, as I was searching around today, uh, this intuitive, emotional, even mystical response to something higher or of ultimate value. You know? So there's something mysterious that happens. You know? And in a way, maybe all the teachers can do is kind of set an outline in some way. But ultimately, uh, it is about inspiring you. You know? Oh, I can do this. You know, uh, this is not a mountain that's uh, not climbable. Uh, this is actually something that you can do. You know, and we wouldn't be up here. And the Buddha says, you know, if uh, I didn't think this was possible, uh, I would not teach this. You know, so there's this great lineage, you know, that somehow uh, verifies, uh, even though uh, you don't know, you know. And that sometimes you have to take uh, some of this just, just simply on faith, you know. Even to this day, I think there's so much about, you know, um, 
all of it that's way beyond me, you know? Um, it's not that I, you know, there's a piece of me uh, that uh, suspends uh, my, uh, sometimes it's like devas in the, in the suttas, they have all these like heavenly beings, you know? And my teacher Manindra used to say there would just be, sometimes there'd be four or five people in the room when he was teaching. And he would talk about all these, uh, you know, sometimes 50 beings that were also in the room why it was going on, you know, five people. But there were 50, you know, um, unseen, unknown to us. And you can say, well, what is that? But to be able to actually say, okay, I don't know. Can I suspend my belief system of, uh, you know, having to be this uh, rationalist scientific fact? Or um, maybe... Not so much. And I lean on this thing because faith is so important to me. Not so much. You know? And it's not that I have to, you know, uh, do anything with that. You know? But it does allow me something that's phenomenal, that it allows me possibility. You know? Beyond sometimes my rational constructions and uh, believing somehow that I know. There was, in the suttas, there's, um, and I always think of this, his name was Ratapala, you know. And he was a young, very wealthy, we assume kind of in his 20s, and early 20s, and he uh, and he lived in a small village and uh, well-to-do, and, and he uh, went and heard the Buddha. And he was so inspired uh, by these teachings, you know, that uh, he went to the Buddha and said, I want to uh, take robes. And um, the Buddha said, well, did you ask your parents? You know, I would have been in big trouble if this went on. But anyway, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, he goes and he asks his parents and, and they say, no, no. Here you have all these lands and all, uh, he had kind of everything. And that uh, his whole uh, life was based on this, um, you know, passing on the kind of power and the uh, prestige and the uh, things that come with a privileged life. And uh, at that point he was so moved, even though he only listened to the Buddha once, you know, and he was so moved that he actually then said, uh, I guess in the main chamber, of, uh, he said, uh, I'm going to lay down here and I, uh, if you won't let me take robes and I'll just lay here until I die. You know. And he laid there for seven days you know, until he got really skinny and his parents got really worried about him and, and finally uh, they uh, agreed. And uh, Ratnapala became an arhat, you know. But what was it that moved him? He very something not. Uh, he can't have heard all sorts of things. He he was inspired to such a depth 
and his faith in what he had experienced and heard uh, gave him uh, this incredible resolve. And I think this is the wonderful thing about faith, is it can give you the strength and the resolve to hang in there. Uh, there's also another story I like, which comes out of the uh, five spiritual five spiritual faculties, and um, it's uh, simply uh, because we can't just. It's not about blind; it's about a somehow balanced thing. And uh, in the uh, one of the, I think it's a commentary thing. I'm not sure, um, but the story goes that there was a a large, blind uh, man. And there was a small, sharp-eyed cripple. And um, the sharp-eyed, and the one, of course, uh, is uh, kind of represents faith and that that sees uh, the wisdom aspect. And so uh, I love it because in some way there has to be uh, this uh, support. And the support is uh, the blind, uh, big, uh, kind of giant uh, needs the small, sharp-eyed cripple. And that in the in the commentary they say, well, if you'll get up on my shoulders, you know, then we can travel far. You know. It's funny, I think of uh, all my years, and I think maybe more than anything that, uh, oh, I've done some crazy things, you know? And... Um, But what was it that stemmed me a lot of times? I'm not that, I'm not super smart or anything else. Uh, but I did have a lot of faith, you know. And I felt it so many times, you know, that somehow, even when I didn't understand, that there was some sensing of the direction itself. And I know everyone here, you know, uh, that somehow that your capacity, you know, uh, sometimes we try to uh, figure it out or outthink it, you know. And for me, this whole practice is not about that, you know. It's actually um, the capacity uh, to get under our language, you know. And we can outtalk ourselves. We can outthink ourselves. And yet the practice says that somehow that if everything gets still enough, that uh, you could use the word intuition, um, which is somehow balanced between this, uh, this wisdom factor and this uh, uh, faith. No.
I like this. Faith is the seed. Practice the rain. And wisdom is my yoke and plow. Modesty the pole. Mind the strap. Mindfulness my plowshare and goad. Lovely? No. It is the seed, practice the rain, the wisdom, the yoke, and the plow. This last year I was in uh, the doctor. I went trekking and uh, I had to see if I could, I had to go up to about 17,000 feet to see if I was okay. You know, uh, trekking, because I'm taking a group to Tibet this summer to uh, up to Mount Kailash, the, the, uh, the sacred uh, mountain in Tibet, you know. And so I had to go check myself out and I, I, um, I did great, you know. And... Um, Got back, and then usually what I do, then I go into self-retreat. So I went, and, and um, here, the foolishness here is that I forget things. I don't know if you do, but I do. And so I, for, I forgot my medication in the States, uh, which was just for, you know, blood stuff, cholesterol and stuff. And, and um, so I got there, and I went to the local pharmacy in Lay, and, and uh, so he gave me some... Something said it was the same. But it was about two and a half times or maybe three times stronger than what I took here. And uh, I'd been taking it. I went trekking and I came back and I went and uh, I was ready for my self-retreat. And so I went and began to sit, you know. And uh, a couple of days into sitting and I, you know, usually I spend the first week and, and I really get into, you know, just trying to kind of bring it all down and really concentrate. And, and that I get some lightness from that. And then I kind of open it up, the kind of the awareness of, of kind of uh, a broad uh, kind of spectrum. Well, about the third day, I started having these pains, you know? And um, suddenly I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have to have hip replacement. Then a few days later, it was, it was a knee replacement. Then it was an elbow replacement. And I was going, oh my God. And I was so miserable. I used to, I'd been sitting like this for, you know, forever. And uh, I could not sit on his office. It was just too painful, you know? And so I got a chair and, and, and I started to sit in the chair and, uh, and uh, started to woe me, you know, all the stuff we do when uh, the body just isn't uh, doing what we'd like it to do. Of course, I didn't know at the time that actually uh, what I found out, not till I got back to the States about five or six weeks later, that actually I guess it causes muscle, um, muscle deterioration. You know? So it wasn't actually the joints. I'm okay. You know? <laughs> and, um, but I was so miserable. I had the most miserable retreat. You know, and I would go out, and I thought, you know, I have to get ready to go to Kailash, so I had to be really, you know, Mister Tough. And I'd go out and walk, and it would hurt so much. You know, it was like I was miserable. 
you know. And I didn't want to be mindful, you know. And so I would go back and I would sit in my chair uh, and commiserate sometimes. Uh, And then I got into this thing about, oh, you know, maybe all I can do is pray, you know. And pray was something uh, for me about uh, the fact that you know, I've, I have so much faith that somehow we're part of a lineage here of somebody, you know, 2,600 years ago who fully awakened. I don't even know what that means. That's way beyond my understanding. I barely know, you know, my own uh, stuff in some ways. And I can't, some of my teachers, I've had some of the greatest, you know, teachers of the last century. I had no idea, you know, I just trusted that somehow they knew a hell of a lot more than me. And also, there was kind of an energetic I recognized in them. You know? Uh, something, some taste of a kind of piece of freedom there. But me, I was miserable. You know? And I had really, the whole, for a whole month, I had, you know, it was over a month, I, I couldn't settle down. You know? But I kept, you know, I kind of had these little prayers and stuff I did, and and uh, I realized that what was really important uh, was faith in this process and this practice, you know. And I really send that to you because in so many ways, you know, we underplay this in the West, you know, taking refuge in the Buddha, you know, taking refuge uh, in the truth, in the Dharma, taking refuge in the community that uh, is supporting that direction in that way, you know. The frogs know. You know, I saw, today I saw by this hawk out there, he was so, he seemed young and vital and strong. And at that time in India, I did not have that. I felt like a really old man, you know. It was actually good, you know, in the sense, actually was really, in the end, and I say this to you because uh, it was, it taught me so much. Because usually I have, uh, the year before, I had really good retreats, and, you know, I got a little concentration, and and then, uh, you know, I kind of able to kind of be with this whole body breath, and then kind of open my awareness up, and I'm thrilled. You know, I'm a happy guy. Anyway, but, you know, um, I began in this process of really understanding on some level. Uh, First, uh, I I got the thing on the wheel of dependent origination called uh, old age sickness and death. You know, I didn't particularly appreciate that one. But anyway, it was there, you know, on some level. But there was also, uh, and I think it really had to do with the face, that somehow I began again to see, I, I tried to figure out in the sense of what is some of the understanding we need in faith. And one of them is that, um, you know, they, they have this word vipaka, which is, um, I think, in volitional formations, uh, and kind of karma is the actions that we do in the here and now 
but the vipaka is is kind of the past, um, you know, uh, kind of influencing us in some way, catching up with us, you know. And so there was a piece of having to accept the vipaka, and I was thinking, oh, uh, I know this is in a way that may not sound great, but the difficulty I was going through, at some point there was two things that happened. One was about the faith, and just, oh gosh, you know, I'll do this. And uh, the other was that somehow, you know, uh, in the acceptance of this experience, you know, uh, that... Um, I, I, this is a funny thing to say. I kind of surrendered to the karma of my experience. You know, and I understood it in a kind of a new way. And I think, I always think I kind of have a bit of an open heart, but I realize I didn't. You know, there were things when I travel in India, I, there's parts of me just shuts down and I kind of, you know, uh, try to muscle my way through. You know. And uh, that difficult retreat, no, uh, was actually a great heart opener. Uh, I began to, in a sense, things that I maybe turned away from that I gave myself permission to touch, and I realized it was actually one of my, I, I, I don't want to repeat it, uh, one of a very uh, supportive retreat. No. So it doesn't have to be a good one, you know, in your framework of how it works. You know, uh, it still works, you know. Ah. I was going to read this at the beginning, but I liked it so much. Uh, you know, I, I, when you're piddling around on the internet, you find all kinds of far out things these days. It used to be, you know, we had a few books and uh, had to figure it out from there. But, uh, you know, but I like this. It just like, it struck me, oh, this is great. Sell your cleverness and buy bewilderment. Sell your cleverness and buy bewilderment. Take one leap after another in the dark until the light shines. I'll read that again, it's so I don't know. I like this stuff, you know. Sell yourself to cleverness. Uh, sell your cleverness. <laughs> I think we tried that coming in. And by your bewilderment, take one leap after another in the darkness until the light shines. Beautiful. So, so, there's a lot more coming on this, uh, you know, this uh, spiral uh, to liberation and the knowledge of it. You know, it's a good trip you're on. I can testify to it. So, faith, back to my poem. Beginning again, this constant search 
running from the bulls, tearing through the streets, these twisted alleyways of thoughts. For a split second, courageously quelling the desire to move away from this or towards any destination, knowing full well answers, yes, answers, come out of nowhere. This way forward, those moments between thoughts, risking only the landscape of the heart, risking only the landscape of the heart. Some blind, seeming blind, yet knowing the confirmation based on some sense of wonder and understanding. Seeming blind, yet knowing the confirmation based on some sense of wonder and understanding. Untouched by words, this confidence. We step out of all our hidden lives, knowing the old path which only led us to the circular spinning, creating a life only partially lived, crying out for mercy, ignorance, recreating ignorance. Knowing the road up ahead is unclear, yet some ancient vision of ourselves, some ancient vision of ourselves, some deep sense that freedom is not so far away. Faith coupled with this ancient cellular knowledge, the road well-worn leads directly to liberation. Faith coupled with this ancient cellular knowledge, the road well-worn leads directly to liberation. So, let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.